Good morning, Mount Airy. It's good to be back with you, and I appreciate uh, you praying for us as we've been gone. Uh, We now have uh, both of our mission teams are back home, thank the Lord. Uh, I took, as you know, 27 people to Cleveland this past week, and uh, three of those people were on their first ever mission trip, so we're we're excited about that. Had a wonderful time there supporting the work of Tony and Beth Lissetto, our church planners in Cleveland. And then Chris led a team of six to Kenya, uh, and they had amazing time uh, working in that place. Uh, over 600 gospel conversations. Not sure how many salvations yet, but over 600 gospel conversations that, that those six people had, which is just absolutely amazing. Um, Dennis was just telling me about one young man who prayed to receive Christ. I'm not going to give his name or anything. He prayed to receive Christ because this goes out on the web. But a young man prayed to receive Christ. And Dennis just got a text on Friday that his family found out about, Muslim family found out about that. And they caned him. They beat him. And they kicked him out of the family. And so we were just praying for him. Uh, You can ask us later what his name is if you want to pray for that 15-year-old young man. He knows the truth, and he even admitted, he said, now I know the truth. Now I know what's real. And so we are grateful. Uh, and you know what? We, we sing about freedom, and thank God for the freedom we have in our country. Thank God for the freedom we have in our, in our nation. But there are those who pay a high price as a follower of Jesus Christ. So, thank you for praying for us, and today I'm beginning a, a brand new ser- sermon series, uh, really it's a summer series, the last several years during the summer I've tried to have a series that we focus on one particular topic, and today I'm starting a summer series called I Am. For the last couple of summers we focused on a narrative or a story in the Old Testament. I think two years ago we looked at the book of Ruth throughout the summer, and last summer we looked at the book of Esther. So this summer, we're going to be focusing on a, on a New Testament narrative or a New Testament story, if you will, as we focus on who Jesus is. The entire summer, that's what we're going to be looking, on, looking at. Does God care what I think about who Jesus is? And the answer is yes. The entire Gospel of John was written to answer the question, who is Jesus? Now, we'll make sure you hear that. Make sure you get this. The entire Gospel of John was written to answer the question, who is Jesus? Listen to me. Don't let CNN tell you who Jesus is. Don't let a college professor tell you who Jesus is. Don't let Time Magazine try to tell you who Jesus is. Let Jesus tell you in His own words who He is. That's what we're going to be doing this summer. We're going to be looking at seven I Am statements that Jesus made in the Gospel of John. And they're only in the Gospel of John. They're not in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, but they are in the Gospel of John. Seven different times Jesus made an I am statement. Seven times he used either a miracle or a major Jewish uh, festival as an opportunity to describe himself to the people. He said, for example, I am the bread of life. And he said, I am the light of the world. He said, I am the door of the sheep. He said, I am the good shepherd. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I am the true vine. Seven times through the Gospel of John, he strategically 
wrote about, John strategically wrote about these seven statements that Jesus made declaring his identity to the world. Now here's why the I am statements of Jesus are important to you. Listen carefully. When we know who he is, it has the potential to change who we are. I want you to say that with me. When we know who he is, it has the potential to change who we are. Now you're as bad as the first crowd. You need to... We need to work on this, all right? So let's try it again. When we know who he is, it has the potential to change who we are. That's what we're going to be looking at this summer. And again and again, we'll be looking at these statements that Jesus made. And when we know who he is, you'll see the potential to change who you are. Now here's what we're going to find as we dig into the Gospel of John this summer. Jesus, whenever he used these I am statements, Jesus was declaring something. He was declaring that he is everything we are not. Everything that we are not. He said, I am the bread of life. You are not. He's the only source of eternal life. I am the bread of life. He said, I am the light of the world. Jesus is the universal answer to people living in spiritual darkness. We aren't. He said, I am the gate for the sheep. Jesus is the one and only way to God's kingdom. He said, I am the good shepherd. Jesus is the shepherd of our souls. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus has the power over death. We don't. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the answer we're all looking for. And he said, I am the vine. Jesus is the one we completely depend on. Clayton King summarized the I am statements of Jesus this way. He said, Jesus was saying, I am sufficient where you are deficient. I like that. I wrote that one down. I am sufficient where you are deficient. So seven different times in the Gospel of John, Jesus declared, I am what you need in your life. So that's what we're going to dig into this summer. Where Jesus said in seven different ways, seven different times, seven different settings, I am what you need in your life. By the way, you know this probably, but the number seven is the perfect number. It's the number that represents God. So seven times Jesus declared his identity as God in flesh. Now, if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, we're going to lay the groundwork for the entire series today, kind of do an introduction to the I am statements. Uh, if you're taking notes, you might want to write down that the, the seven I am statements of Jesus appear in John chapter 6 through chapter 15. That's the portion of the gospel where they appear, John chapter 6 through John chapter 15. So the question that I have is this, what led up to those magnificent seven statements? In other words, what happened before chapter 6? What happened in the first five chapters of the gospel? Well, I love the way that John begins the story of Jesus. John starts this gospel with a big picture perspective. I want you to go with me. John chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to build our way, work our way, walk our way through the first five chapters as we get to the I am statements. John chapter 1, he starts with a big picture perspective. He says, in the beginning, before Bethlehem, In the beginning was the Word, that is Jesus, and the Word, Jesus, was with God, and the Word was God. He wasn't just a prophet, he was God. He was with God in the beginning. Then he says, through him, through Jesus, all things were made, and without him, 
nothing was made that had been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The darkness shines, or the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. John is, begins his gospel by pulling back the curtain a little bit and letting us see Jesus from a different perspective. And he said, I want you to know something about him. He spoke and the galaxies came into being. He spoke and the stars lit up the sky. He, he spoke and the world was formed. He spoke and creatures filled the waters and the lands. He formed the first man and the first woman. And then John says, then he came in flesh to this speck of the universe called planet earth. Look at verse 14. The Word, the same reference he used in chapter 1, verse 1. He says in verse 14, The Word became flesh. This one who spoke and created the world. The Word became flesh. He came to this little speck of the universe called planet earth. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. This is the story that John is going to tell us in the book called The Gospel of John. This is the story. It's not just the story about Jesus. It's not just the life story of Jesus. John is going to strategically answer the question, Who is Jesus? Who is this one who was in the beginning? Who is this one who came to the speck of the universe called planet earth in human flesh? Who is Jesus? You know, if you ask people that question today, and by the way, it's a good question to ask people. Uh, just in your personal opinion, who do you think Jesus is? There's nothing threatening about that question because you're asking for their personal opinion. People like to give their opinion. You're not saying you're right or wrong or they're right or they're wrong. You just, in your personal opinion, who do you think Jesus is? Or in your personal opinion, who is to you, who is Jesus? When you ask that question in today's world, You'll probably get one of three answers unless they're a Christian. If, if they're a Christian, they'll hopefully give you a better answer than this. But if you're asking someone who doesn't know the Lord and you say to you, who is Jesus? They'll probably say, well, he was a great teacher. Or they'll say he was a great prophet. Or they'll say he was a great example. Now, would you agree with me? Let's just talk. We're, we're just talking today. Would you agree that he was a great teacher? Would you agree that he was a great prophet? Would you agree that he was a great example of how to live life? Absolutely. He was all of that. But listen to me. He was so much more than that. And that is what John is going to tell us in his gospel. John is going to say, I, I just want you to understand who he is. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a teacher. He's not just an example. Though he is all of that, he is so much more than that. So John is going to make the case that Jesus was and Jesus is the very heaven-sent Son of God and the only source of eternal life. He's going to make the case that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Now, I've got to ask you a question. I want you to respond to me. If you were Jesus... You came to this speck of the universe called planet Earth. You're a God in human flesh. How would you go about convincing people of who you are? I mean, you could tell them, certainly. But anybody could say those things. So if you were Jesus, 
How would you go about convincing people that you are the Son of God, the Savior of the world? Well, John shows us that the way Jesus did it, he used miracles to reveal his identity. There are seven miracles in the Gospel of John. Now, this is interesting. Seven miracles in the Gospel of John. How many I am statements are there? You can look up here for a hint. Yeah. There's seven miracles and seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. Now, some of the miracles occur, we'll look at them in a moment, before the I am statements, but there are seven miracles that lead up to and are intertwined with the I am statements of Jesus. Now, let's talk for a moment about what a miracle is. A miracle is an extraordinary event that has a supernatural cause. An extraordinary event that has a supernatural cause. A miracle is something only God could do. If you could do it, it wouldn't be a miracle. If I could do it, it wouldn't be a miracle. If we could somehow do it as a group, it wouldn't be a miracle. It might be amazing, but it wouldn't be a miracle. It would be something we could do. A miracle is something only God could do. It's an extraordinary event that has a supernatural cause. Well, John writes about seven miracles. Now, everybody look up here, I want to ask you a question. This is real important. We're just, we're just talking today. Do you think Jesus did more than seven miracles? Of course he did. In fact, if you were to count all the miracles in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you put all those miracles together, read all four Gospels and count the miracles, there's, there's around 37 miracles recorded in Scripture. Now, probably he did more than 37. More than likely, he did much more than 37. But we know of at least 37 miracles that Jesus performed. So John, when he's writing his gospel, he doesn't write about every one of them. John, when he's writing his gospel, chooses seven miracles. So that he could introduce the seven I am statements about Jesus. Now, John doesn't refer to these simply as miracles. John refers to these as signs and wonders. Miraculous signs and wonders. Now, let's talk about the word signs. It emphasizes the significance of the action. In other words, John would say, I, I know that he healed the man who was, who was crippled, but there's something significant about what he did. Not just the significance that that man was helped, but there was more significance to it than that. In other words, a sign, a miraculous sign, was something that pointed beyond the miracle to something else. And if you read the Gospel of John, you'll see that these miraculous signs pointed to the identity of Jesus. That these miraculous signs were given to show who Jesus is. Because how do you convince people you are the Son of God? Jesus did it through miraculous signs that pointed to His identity. where He did something only God could do. Doesn't that make sense? If you do something only God can do, people began to say, you must be God. You must be God in flesh. So John uses this word, miraculous signs, we'll see it in a moment, to point to Jesus' identity. He is the Son of God. Then he also uses the word wonders. The word wonders demonstrates his power. He has a power only God has. He can raise the dead. That was one of the miracles. Uh, he, he could heal the blind. That was one of the miracles. Uh, uh, whenever he did a, a miracle, it, was, it demonstrated who he was, but it also demonstrated his power. He had power. Watch this. Only God could have. How do you convince people you are who you say you are? How do you convince people you are the Son of God who came to this speck called planet Earth in the universe? John says, let me tell you about seven signs and miracles, signs and wonders that help us introduce 
the great I am statements. So, let's get into the scripture. Look in chapter 2 of John, verse 1. Chapter 2 of John, Gospel of John, verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had been invited to the wedding. Now, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now, I bet most of you know this story. Maybe some of you don't, but I bet most of you do, so I'm going to let you help me finish the story. What did Jesus do at this wedding? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, was, I thought you were afraid to answer. We were in a Baptist church. You know? Here, here's what he did. He turned water into wine. Now, I wonder why he did that. I, I wonder what was, is, surely it was more than they just needed a wedding party. What, what was the purpose? Look in verse 11. This, the first of his miraculous signs. There's the word. It's, not just a miracle, it was, it was a miraculous sign. It was pointing to something beyond the miracle itself. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. And here's the reason. He thus revealed his glory. That is, he pulled back the curtain just a little bit so that they could see who he was. His disciples, his original followers, he wanted them to understand as he began his ministry, the reason that he came was because he is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And so how do you convince? people you are who you say you are he did this miraculous sign pulled back the curtain just a little bit and revealed his glory and look what happened at the end of verse 11 and his disciples put their faith in him now, now wait a minute wait a minute didn't they put their faith in him when they left their nets didn't they put their faith in him when they left their families yes they did on a certain level they put their faith in Christ absolutely but when they saw this miracle when they saw him do something only God could do and he pulled back the curtain and let them get a peek to his glory. They put their faith in him in a much deeper way. All right, so let's keep reading and see what happens. Go to chapter 4. Again, we're just setting the stage for the seven I am statements that we will see in the Gospel of John. John is building towards that in this first part of the Gospel. Chapter 4, verse 46. <clears throat> Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. And when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, there's the word, signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you'll never believe. And the royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, you may go, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. And when he inquired as to the time when this son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus said to him, your son will live. So watch this. So he and all of his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. So he and his household believed. Who is this Jesus? He's 
got to be more than a prophet. He's got to be more than, than a good example. He's got to be more than a great teacher. Uh, this is somebody who can heal the sick. Who is this Jesus? They believe. They put their faith in him. John is building this story towards chapter 6. So we go to chapter 6, verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. Now, before you read any further, let me ask you a question. If you were in Cana of Galilee and you heard about, or perhaps even saw, Jesus turn water into wine, do you think word would have gotten out? Absolutely. I mean, this was before Facebook, but word would have gotten out. This was before Twitter, but word would have gotten out. Now, if you lived in Capernaum and and the, son, the royal son was healed, do you think word would have gotten out? Absolutely. So at least in those two areas, word would have gotten out. There is one who performs miracles. There is one who can turn water to wine. There's this guy who can heal a boy who is close to death. And, and certainly word got out that day, or in that day, and the reason we know that is because of what we read in the next verse. Verse 2, And a great crowd of people, not just a crowd, but a great crowd, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. A great crowd of people, began, word began to get out. They began to come from all over because of the miraculous signs. John is clear to tell us. They're starting to understand something. They don't quite get it all, but they're starting to understand this is somebody different. This is somebody who has power. They've seen the miraculous signs, and so the great crowds are gathering. Verse 3. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples, and the Jewish Passover feast was near. And when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? I like this next verse. He's, he asked this only to test him, for he already knew, had in mind what he was going to do. Hey, Philip, I, I got a question for you. Look at this crowd. Where are we going to get the money to feed all these people? He knows what he's going to do. He's just testing him. Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Now again, you probably know this story. What happens in this story? What is the miracle in this story? Jesus does what? Feeds 5,000, which actually probably, as you know, was more than 5,000 because it's just 5,000 men that are mentioned. They likely had families, so it could easily have been 15,000, 20,000 people there that day that he, that he fed with some, a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish. Again, another miracle, feeding of the 5,000, another miracle. Notice the result, verse 14. After the people saw the miraculous sign, John tells us again, not just a miracle, it's a sign. After he saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. This is not just a prophet, this is the prophet. This is the Messiah. This is the one that was talked about in the Old Testament. This is the Savior of the world. They're beginning to answer this question. Who is Jesus? They're beginning to formulate in their mind as they see these miracles. Surely, this is the one we've been looking for. This is the one we've been waiting for. Now, let's continue to pick up the story. This is... I really like this part of the story. I hope you do too. I hope you'll follow along. Verse 16, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew, grew rough. And when they had rowed three 
or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat. And what was he doing? Look at the text. What was he doing? When was the last time you saw a great teacher do that? When was the last time you saw a great prophet do that? When was the last time you saw a great example do that? He's walking on water. And they were terrified. But he said, it is I. Don't be afraid. And then they were willing to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the shore where, where they were heading. What, what, what does that mean? Immediately the boat reached the shore. It means immediately the boat reached the shore. I don't know how it happened, but it was, it was a miracle. The next day, verse 22, this is, this is interesting to me. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Now once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum, I love this, in search of Jesus. People have been searching for Jesus for a long time, haven't they? They don't always know what they're searching for, but these people knew they were searching for this miracle work. And when they found him, verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? So, we got a question. I, I, I know you're busy. I know you got a lot. To, but but you know, there was only one boat out there. We, you didn't get in it. And when the boat went to the other side, how did you get over here? How did you get to the other side? They're, they're trying to figure out how all of this is, is happening. Jesus answered, verse 26, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, because you ate the loaves and had your fill. And then look very carefully at verse 27. I want you to notice the contrast in verse 27. Do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On Him, God the Father has placed His seal of approval. Then they ask Him, what must we do to do the works God requires? People have been asking that question for centuries. Well, what do I need to do to be right with God? What do I need to do to get God's approval? What do I need to do to be on God's good side? What do I need to do in order to go to heaven? And the religions of the world are man's attempt to answer that question. All the religions of the world are simply man's attempt to answer the question, what do I need to do in order to know God and go to heaven? Now, I want you to notice verse 29. I've preached before this text. It may be underlined in your Bible. I haven't preached this message, but this text. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one He has sent. The only work God is interested in is this, to believe in the one He has sent. Please highlight that in your Bible if it's not already. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, we do not satisfy God by what we do. We satisfy God by believing what He has done. Believing in the one He has sent. And that sets the stage for the great I Am statements. The miracles that John talks about are intertwined with the I Am statements that are to come in chapter 6 through 15. Seven times... 
Jesus will declare who he is. Seven times he will reveal his identity. You see, when we know who he is, it has the potential to change who we are. Seven times he said, I am what you need in your life. You know, listen to me. That's why we go on mission trips. We go on mission trips because there is one who can change somebody's life eternally. That's why we have Vacation Bible School, because we believe that Jesus is the one who can change those children's lives for eternity. That's why we're asking you to have gospel conversations, trying to have 365 conversations this year, is because we need to tell people there is somebody who who came into this world who is sinless and perfect, he died on a cross, and he can change your life. But it's not by doing anything except believing in what he has already done. Here's the way it's summarized. Chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. So they ask him, What miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? you how, what are you going to do to prove that you are who you say you are? What will you do? He says. Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never Be thirsty. Seven times Jesus declared, I am what you need in your life. Now, I want you to run with me to uh, chapter 20, John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Remember now, John was writing this gospel story not just to tell the story of Jesus, but he strategically writes this story to answer the question, Who is Jesus? So John tells us at the end of the book, chapter 20, verse 30, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in the book. Again, John was saying, listen, he did a lot of miracles. I didn't try to write about all of them. I wrote about seven. Why did you write about these seven, John? He tells us. But these are written, verse 31, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John said, that's the reason I've written. That's the reason I've told you about these miracles, and that's the reason we'll be studying the great I Am statements. John says, I put it all together because I want you to believe that there was the Son of God who came to the speck in the universe called planet Earth, he, God in flesh, and we want you to understand who he is These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that the Son of God, and that by believing you and you and you and you and you and you may have life in His name. That's the reason we have a church. That's the reason we go on mission trips. That's the reason we have vacation Bible school. That's the reason we have hope. It's because of Jesus. I'm not sure I understand how exactly does that come about. We'll go back to chapter 5 of John and we'll close with this. Chapter 5 of John. This is a verse you have heard me quote many times if you've been around here much. 
or at least part of the verse, John chapter 5, verse 24. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I tell you the truth. Now notice what he says. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. You've heard me say that a lot, haven't you? Crossed over from death to life. Come straight out of Scripture. It's the words of Jesus. He says, this is the way you cross over from death to life. Right now, unless you've trusted Christ as your Savior, unless you believe in Jesus right now, you're living in death. Oh, your body is still alive, but there will be a day that you die. And when you die, you'll spend eternity in death. Eternity separated from God. You will experience eternal death. But that's not what God wants for you. God wants you to experience eternal life. And you can cross over from eternal death to eternal life. How do you make that that switch from eternal death to eternal life? It's right there. He who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Right now it could be your possession. Has eternal life and will not be condemned. And it's crossed over from death to life. You know, I was 11 years old when I made that decision. I was 11 years old when I finally understood who Jesus really was. I was 11 years old when I finally decided I'll never do enough for God, but I need to trust what He had done for me through Jesus. I was 11 years old when I crossed over from death to life. And now... There'll be a day when my body dies. There'll be a day when my casket will probably be right down front here. My body will cease to exist. It will cease functioning. My body will decay. But I will be alive. Eternally. Because you know, don't you? You know that there is so much more to you than just your body. It's your spirit. And your spirit is eternal. And it will either experience eternal death in hell or it will experience eternal life with God. Have you crossed over? John says, I've written this whole book. I've written this whole book so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you may have life. Seven times, we'll look at it starting next week. Seven times Jesus said, I am what you need. Pray with me. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm not going to pressure you. I'm not going to do anything to mislead you or make you feel uncomfortable. I'm just going to read you this scripture. I'm going to ask you, is this true of you? I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word, have you listened to the word today? Have you heard God speaking today? If you don't know Christ as Savior, maybe you're feeling like, this is kind of strange. I I don't know what I'm feeling. I've never felt this before. You've heard the truth, and the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart right now. That's what it is. Tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and, and believes him who sent me. And believes. It's all salvation comes through belief, not through behavior. Salvation comes through belief that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus died on the cross for your sin, that Jesus is the substitute for your sin. 
Salvation comes when you believe Him. The Bible says you have eternal life. You've crossed over from death to life. I, I want to ask you today, would you be willing, if you've never done that, would you be willing to do that right now? Would you be willing, do you want to do that right here? I believe that probably a lot of us have already done that, but I also believe there's probably some of you, maybe one, maybe two, maybe ten, I don't know. There's some of you, you've not yet done that. You're still living in eternal death. You've never experienced eternal life. And you're heading to eternal hell. Today, I would love to say, you know, there, there was this young man, there was this woman, there was this grandfather, there was this, there was this guy who, who prayed to receive Christ today. He crossed over from death to life. So would you pray this with me from your heart? From the, if this is your first time, just pray it from your heart. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I believe that you came to die for my sin. So for the first time in my life, I am placing my faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross for me. I'm not going to try to behave my way into heaven. I'm going to believe in Jesus, that he is what I need. So I repent of my sin. I turn from it. Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Savior and my Lord. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for allowing me to cross over from death to life.